Welcome to the Armed and Ready podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wood, VA loan guy, and we have an excellent Marine Corps veteran as our guest today, Sean Collicott, former pilot in the Marine Corps. Come on and take a listen. Welcome to another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wood, the VA loan guy. Today, we have an awesome guest with us, Marine Corps veteran, Sean Collicott, who's also a financial advisor and can't wait to share with you guys his story. So, Sean, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me and uh, thanks for that introduction. Yeah, I got to uh, serve in the Marine Corps after going to Indiana State and uh the Marine Corps said, hey, if you get through our program, we'll guarantee you flight school. So sounded like a pretty good deal to me and uh, got to go to the Marine Corps. Uh, true to their word, they sent me to flight school, got to fly the 46, um, got to have a deployment with the 15th Mew, got to do some of the best flying in my career there. Um, years later, got to transition to the Osprey and had some good times there. And along the way, one of my collateral duties was command financial specialist, which is very different than what I'm doing now, but still in the finance world. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So <laughs> those were usually talks to classrooms of about 30 or 40 Marines. And I'll say that something to them like, hey, Marines, I know this is what you're spending your money on. Um, this is what a healthy financial plan looks like. Basically, if you could not spend your money on Tinder and Red Bull and cigarettes, you'd be doing a lot better. <laughs> and they'd say, sir, that's boring. And I was like, well, I, I understand that's boring, but you do things the right way. You're going to not just take care of yourself. You're going to take care of your family and you're going to uh, uh, change the trajectory of your financial future. And they're like, okay, we're, we're kind of on board with that. Um, and as I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, Northwestern Mutual contracted me as a financial advisor, and it's been a really nice fit. Um, I get to help people, one, make financial decisions, but ideally, again, set them up, not just taking care of themselves for their financial future, but if we do things the right way, uh, we get to set up their children and their grandchildren. Yeah, it's super rewarding. Um, Tell me a little bit about like, what was the decision like going through your head to join the military? Like, what were you, were you always like thinking like I'm going to join or where, what was your track, you know, like back in college or when you're younger? Yeah. Um, so, um, I, when I was about six years old, I, I knew I did want to fly for the military. Um, and you know, Top Gun came out and, uh, you know, my dad was a flight surgeon, uh, for the air force. So I grew up seeing fighter jets flying around all the time. I uh, got into flight school and, and, and that was great. Uh, I did not have the grades for jets and I definitely didn't have the stomach for jets. Uh, so I'd go up, uh, I'd fly, we'd do some aerobatics in primary flight school and I'd get sick and I, you know, I don't care anymore. Just get, just get me flying anything. And uh, <laughs> they're like, no problem. We can get you the helicopters. And uh, you know, I got in there, ended up loving it. And uh, again, uh, it, it was, it was fun because with helicopters is uh, very, very much a team oriented aspect to it. Yeah. And you're picking up, uh, you know, combat loaded Marines and dropping them into to zones or you're doing humanitarian relief efforts. And uh, that's where you're flying stuff like food, water, medical supplies to, to people who need it. And, you know, strengthens, uh, strengthens the bonds from other countries and kind of promotes America's interests. Yeah. yeah. Well, like a man after my own heart. So Top Gun is what kind of <laughs> motivated me too. And I always wanted to fly fighters and that's why I joined the, um, the military as well. But, um, so, so tell me you, you flew helicopters, which helicopters scare the heck out of me. Yeah. Um, fixed wing seems a lot more, um, 
safer. I mean, at least huh. you can glide, you know, in case something sure. goes wrong or whatever. Um, so, I mean, you got to fly both, right? You got to fly in a helicopter and the Osprey, which is kind of a mix of right. the two. Um, so I don't know. What, what was, what's it like, the difference between the two? Sure. Well, uh, going through flight school, you start on planes. And again, the team aspect, something goes wrong on a plane, at least a jet, you can parachute out. If something goes wrong on a helicopter, you and everybody are going down with this thing. So, um, there's a maneuver called auto rotation and I'm not telling anything new that helicopter pilots don't know, but basically, uh, the rotors are going to spin just through the airflow going through them and you build up the inertia on the spin of those rotor blades. And then just at the bottom, you have a window of time and, uh, energy to pull up on the collective and it's going to cause the blades to rotate and take a bigger bite out of the air. And basically you got an opportunity to cushion the landing right at the end. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, there's successful, you know, pilots in all services that have successfully auto rotated and got everybody out safely and not, not just that, but save government property and, you know, not a scratch on the aircraft. Do you guys practice that in flight school too? Pra practice it all the time. And, uh, with the 46, when, when it was in service, uh, you practice auto rotations on the Osprey in the simulator. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, so does the Osprey, does it fly more like a plane or does it fly more like a helicopter? You, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a big debate and I'm, I'm sure it probably varies from pilot to pilot. My opinion is it is a plane that can, uh, hover like a helicopter. Okay. Uh, some people might make the argument that no, it's a helicopter that can fly like a plane, but I would say it's a plane <laughs> that can hover like a helicopter. Does Osprey have any ability to glide or? Well, absolutely. In airplane mode, it yeah. does a great job gliding. And, uh, uh, your question is probably what they call conversion mode when it's acting like a helicopter. Right. <clears throat> If you had to auto-rotate a Osprey just because of the aerodynamics, um, it is you have a smaller window for a successful auto-rotation. Okay. And there are, there are very good pilots and very good training that will get it done. Man, that's crazy. Um, so tell me, so tell me about some of the cool deployments. So I know you were telling me a little bit before the show, you got to fly like some really awesome places and some cool scenery and stuff. Where, where was one of your favorite spots? Yeah. So no problem on that one. Uh, my favorite spot was getting to fly, uh, in East Timor and that's the Eastern part of Indonesia. Um, we were supporting, uh, local populace. Uh, they have these mountain villages and the only way you can get there is on foot or via helicopter. And we would uh, fly up and supply them with food, water, medical supplies, take some pictures uh, for some motivation. And that was probably the best flying I've ever done. And uh, as I was telling you before, you can literally go from a mountain scene, tip off the top of the mountain, ride, ride all the way down to jungles, swampland, and then just be at a picturesque beach scene within you know, as little as 45 minutes actually. So that was probably the best flying I got to do and, and very impactful of, you know, humanitarian relief efforts to the local populace. Um, and that was a very fun deployment besides just doing what we we're uh, supposed to do on the military operations. Uh, we got to pull into some pretty cool ports along the way. We got to go to Thailand. We got to go to UAE. Oh, we got wow. to pull into Hong Kong, hit Hawaii on the way there and the way back. So there was, there was some fun along the way too. Yeah, that deployment <laughs> doesn't sound like it sucked. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one for sure. That's cool. Any, any cool uh, places you got to fly with the Osprey? 
you know, with the Osprey, uh, most of my stuff was pretty pretty much local in Conus inside the uh, the U.S. Uh, I had some buddies that have gone um, and, and flew out of special purpose MAGTAF out of Spain, supporting operations in the northern part of Africa, and they do a lot of great work out there. But you know, it, it's it, it it is inherently dangerous, and then, and uh, sometimes uh, you know guys got to get in there and do real combat operations and land in some dusty, dusty zones. And, uh, uh, they find a way to make it work. Um, but you know, at the same time, a lot of danger that comes with it. <laughs> yeah. I bet. What was, what was kind of one of your, your scariest flight incidents? <laughs> yeah. Uh, good, good question again. Uh, two of them. Uh, one, uh, was on my first solo in flight school. Um, the freedom is great, <laughs> but uh, if you get distracted, you're the only one in the aircraft. Uh, and I actually, it's the name solo. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually dropped my pocket checklist. And as I went down to reach for it, my, uh, left knee bumped the stick oh. and I didn't, I didn't bump it hard. It was slow and gradual. And uh, my head was only down for a couple seconds but you put the input into the stick and a couple seconds go by, you can drop, you know, a couple hundred feet, maybe more. Uh, and you look back up and you're in a turn and you're descending. Uh, it can be a big deal. So quick righted myself, got back up and I'm like, okay, we've had enough playtime on my own. It's time to go, go back and make the radio calls and get back safely to, uh, to the training base. Uh, <laughs> so that was, that was one, uh, another one, um, when I was just learning to fly to 46, uh, we had a detachment for training, uh, at Creech air force base outside of, uh, Vegas. And that was really cool. Uh, did some good training there, got to have some time off in Vegas. And on the way back, it was much windier that day than when we got there. And then I noticed we were, uh, uh, loaded down with a lot more gear than, uh, when we showed up there. And we're also pressed pretty close to the mountains. So you have this, what's called orographic turbulence, kind of like if you see a bunch of rocks in a stream or a brook uh -huh. and you see all these uh, ripples and, and, and rapids, well, that's what water does and, and air behaves the same way. So if you get a windy day and it's blowing right across the mountains and you're right on top of the mountains, you're going to be tossed around by all those ripples and rapids, except it's airflow this time. Makes sense. So we're flying and I think we're the lead section and I'm actually a passenger. Um, you know, my training was done and I wanted to scratch my head and say something to guys like, well, it's really windy. Um, it, we're way heavier than we were when we got here. Uh, are we, are we still safe to do this? But I was super junior and, uh, I had a lot of confidence in the senior pilots and, you know, they're the instructors. So, uh, if they're not alarmed, then, then everything's, uh, just fine. So we get out and, uh, um, we felt a sudden dip, uh, in our flight profile and everyone kind of looked around and was like, is that okay? What's going on? And then it righted itself and we continued on. Well, about a minute and a half later, it happened a second time and it didn't stop. So we we're going so fast down that I was strapped in with a seatbelt, but my arms and legs were up like I was up in space. Oh, wow. <laughs> you were really falling. Yeah. And the crew chiefs, they're not wearing a seatbelt. They're wearing a gunner's belt. 
Um, so they got a lot of freedom of movement to walk about the cabin. I saw them bouncing up to the ceiling and off the floor. Um, wow. And I had enough time to actually say a quick prayer, not to get religious, but uh, I looked out the window and I said, oh God, I know I was, I was a bad kid in Vegas. Please forgive me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, then I actually had time to look at it. I was like, is this going to hurt? And I looked at it like, no, nope, we're just going to go splat and that's it. Um, and just as I finished that prayer and that thought, we pulled back out. It was dead quiet for about 30 seconds. And then everyone like cheered, started laughing uncontrollably. So those were the two times I was, I was the most scared in my flying career. Um, I got to hand it to the senior pilot that was actually flying that. Um, he had the wherewithal and, and the courage to bottom out the collective. So actually force the fall even more and build up enough momentum and get out from the, uh, the orographic turbulence and pull us out of it. Um, had he pulled up on the collective, maybe could have exacerbated the situation and we not have the, uh, uh, the lift that we needed to, to get out of that situation. <laughs> Dang, that's freaky. Yeah. That's super scary. <laughs> when I was getting my private license, I had one scary encounter. Um, nothing like that, but <laughs> it, it scared me pretty good. I was, I was flying and my instructor, he was this old guy. He was an old air force crew chief. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously retired. So he's teaching people to get their private license. And, and we were, it was pretty close to when I started my solo flights and, um, we were up doing like low speed stalls, like super low speed oh, stalls. Yeah. And, um, so he had the airplane just, I mean, it felt like you were barely even moving, right. You're just kind of hanging in the air mm -hmm. and he's like, all right, I'm gonna hand the controls over to you. Make sure your feet are on the rudders, exactly how mine are and everything else. So he hands me the controls and my feet weren't quite where his mm. were. I mean, they were just off a little bit. Or I didn't have the same amount of pressure and we just started into a spin. Oh yeah. And that scared the crap out of me. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, and he's just sitting there all calm and cool. He's like, so what are you going to do? <sighs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I've never been in a spin before. <laughs> he's like, well, you better figure it out or we're going to die. And I'm like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> you know? So anyways, he, he actually helped me pull it out. Cause I didn't know really what to do. And, um, we flew around for a little bit more. He's like, so you want to keep flying or are you done for the day? And I think, I'm like, let's go land. I think I'm good for today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's healthy to, you know, get someone and, and push their limits a little bit. He obviously wasn't going to push the aircraft's limits, but, right. you know, that's where he's, he's, he's forcing you to learn and forcing you to deal with some adversity there, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely a lesson learned for sure. Yeah, which direction to push, push or pull the throttle was the lesson on that one. Yeah. Um, and, um, but yeah, that was, that was my scary experience. Um, so you were in the Marine Corps for how long did you serve for? Yeah. Uh, a little over 11 years active duty. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then you went into the private sector. Mm -hmm. What was, what was kind of the decision to, to get out? Cause usually like 10 or 11 years, most guys are thinking like, I'm going to just stick it out and yeah. 20, right? yeah. And, and, and you're absolutely right. A lot of, a lot of career guys at that point, you know, they jokingly say, yeah, we got the good old golden handcuffs on at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, again, uh, I really just, uh, I like the idea of, Hey, on the private sector, what is different from government, um, government, very, very comprehensive benefits, um, good competitive pay, but you do everything you can, uh, to, you know, be an impact positively for your unit. You get paid the exact same as the guy who's always showing up late and blowing stuff off as long as he doesn't, you know, 
get get fired. Right, right. <laughs> so I like the idea of being able to do that. Um, and, you know, uh, I got to say, there's some really good pilots out there um, with probably better nerves than me. And uh, yeah, I, I, I would get pretty stressed out uh, sometimes, especially when we were doing some some low work um, uh, at the latter part of my flying career. So I was, I was happy to, uh, uh, you know, depart active duty and, and, and get my feet wet in the private sector. Nice. Nice. So, um, and you're, you're in the reserves now though, right? Mm -hmm. So you're still serving. Yep. Um, but you joined, uh, Northwestern mutual doing financial planning. So walk us through that a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your business and kind of like who you cater to and and what what your, your way of doing it is. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, just through my background, I'd probably say about 85% of my market is, is military and, and veterans. Um, and there, there's two types of, of um, clients that I have that have, have left active duty. I see either the entrepreneurial uh, small business owner, and then there's also the type that goes off to traditional employment, very similar to the military, except, you know, now they're not getting as comprehensive benefits, but maybe they're getting better compensation, ideally. Right. Um, so if I'm talking to the entrepreneur and, and the, the uh, small business owner, they often want to talk about their baby, which is their business. <laughs> and they want to know, hey, uh, what all c- can I do when business is good and really make significant contributions to my retirement? Well, for that, you're not just doing a, a Roth IRA or or a traditional IRA. You're doing what's called a SEP IRA. And you, um, depending on how old you are, contribution limits up to 56k in one year, which is way more significant than a 401k. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> way more significant than a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, which is only six thousand. Um, so that's one of the first things they want to look at. And maybe business is booming and they need a full time staff. And if their staff's doing good work for them, they want to take care of them. Well, with that, then it's time to hook your staff up with retirement packages such as 401ks and, of course, employee benefits as well. You want to take care of your staff as, as well as you can. So that's kind of some fun planning uh, to do for the entrepreneurs and small business owners. Um, and then, like I said, the other type of military market and veteran market is traditional employees and hey, they've taken the skills that they've learned and honed in the military and now they're applying them to the private sector and they're a big benefit to their company and ideally they're getting paid as much or more. Um, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. And so with that, in active duty, uh, you're contributing to your TSP, you got four different funds you can put it put in. Well, in the private sector, you've got a lot more maneuverability and freedom as far as retirement savings. Um, So you can kind of scrutinize the asset allocation a little closer. And also what I've noticed active duty is when we first get in, they give us all these benefits. And the most obvious one is SGLI right at the beginning. They give starry-eyed privates and starry-eyed second lieutenants $400,000 a life insurance right out of the gate. And you know, for most of those kids, they don't need that much. But being overinsured for nothing is a good thing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but as you know, uh, out here in Southern California, particularly, you do a few things like get married, buy a house, ha- have some kids. Uh, your net worth, your lifestyle, your income 
demands more than just 400,000 because 400,000 isn't paying off my house and it's definitely not taking care of my wife for as long as if, uh, you know, 10 years or more, if, if I get taken out. Right. Um, and I think because the government does such a good job of providing those comprehensive benefits right up front, it's kind of a set it and forget it mentality. And a lot of guys along the way forget to protect themselves more and more as again, their net income grows, their net worth grows and their family grows. Yeah, no, you hit it right on the head. It is, I mean, everything in the military is kind of said and forget it, right? They just, mm -hmm. it's all about the mission, which is yeah. important, obviously. Amen. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we need, that's what we need. We need the military doing that, not worrying so much about personal stuff, but it's important, right? I mean, that education, the one thing, you know, I say this all the time, the one thing the military is great is that, you know, making great airmen, soldiers, and Marines, um, mission ready, mission focused. Mm -hmm. um, but the area where they don't spend much time is on, you know, personal finances and some of the benefits you get by serving, you know, like, like the VA loan, for example, yep. stuff like that. Like there just, there isn't really any education to speak of surrounding that stuff. So there's a big gap. Yeah. And, um, I know in my business, I, I really thrive on helping kind of close that gap a little bit. I know you do too, serve in the military, mm -hmm. just the whole finance piece. Um, what's it like getting into financial services? Is there, um, you know, if we've got anybody listening, who's kind of thinking like, oh, that's kind of a track I have some interest in, right. what, what is the, the barrier to entry for, um, someone who's looking to maybe do something similar? Yeah. Good question. So, um, there's still multiple camps. Um, there are, uh, insurance firms, there are investment firms, and, uh, then there's kind of some middle ground where they, they, they try to do all, all, everything all at once. Um, and I subscribe to those are the best because then if you are getting everything under one house, then you have a financial plan and all these products and services are working in tandem all together. You could do a scatter plot uh, method, but it's, it's, it's just not as cohesive. Um, so some of the barriers that they have, um, there's insurance exams, there's uh, investment advisor exams uh, that you can take. And then, of course, there's the good old hiring process. Now, there's some ways to make your uh, resume more marketable. You could get an MBA. You could get CFP certified. So there's yeah. some great credentials to have. And maybe um, maybe it streamlines your interview process. Maybe even there's some salary money to capture as well. And if, if that's on the table, you know, I want it for those people. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have a friend who is in the business uh, in Nevada and, and he got his um, CFA. Oh, yeah. And, um, and he was telling me, you know, that's probably one of the hardest tests he's yep. ever had to take. But one of the best designations you can get yep. in, in that world. Right. Um, but so, so walk me through, um, walk me through what you do as far as, you know, kind of catering to our military today, you know, um, when they come to you and they're, they're getting out. Um, I know you were telling me earlier, like you help a lot of guys who are in like in that transition phase. Mm -hmm. Right. So what is kind of the, the typical um, transitioning Marine or, or veteran look like, when you're helping them? Yeah. Okay. So that, again, thanks for the good question there. So, um, I'd say planning your exit strategy is probably the most important thing. <laughs> um, when you get to that point, um, and I probably wouldn't advertise it to your command, but when you get to that point, and you're just feeling like two years, 18 months, it's, it's time for me to, to get out of here. That is when you should do what's what I call your, your on track transition timeline. And, a few things that you can do uh, just to set up your, your personal finances is 
hey, um, you do have a uh, VA disability rating coming up. And it's important to tell them everything because just like a rental car, if you rent a car and you ding it up and you scratch it up, uh, the rental place, unless you get the insurance, is going to make you pay for those damages you put on it. Well, the military is renting you and then they cut you back loose to your family. And along the way, they may have dinged you up and scratched you up. You should get that documented because the government's going to pay you for that. Now, when That's you, a good analogy for that. Uh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Some guys are just so tough and they're like, I don't need that. That's for, that's for people who, who are trying to scam the system. You're not scamming the system. You're just telling the government what happened. That's it. <laughs> well, the disability money, it's set aside anyways. Yeah. Like the government's already earmarked X dollars. So that pool of money, it's there for you to take your piece, yeah. you know, provided you have a right to it. Yeah. But if you don't use it, then it's just, it's wasted dollars. Just be truthful and re report what it is. Yeah. Um, so do that. But the financially savvy play before that is you can privatize usually as a male for about half the price of what you will have to pay if you elect what's called VGLI. Instead of service members group life insurance, it's veterans group life insurance, which every service member is entitled to, which also means they're insuring a lot of broken and sick, sick veterans. So you can usually privatize as a male for about half the price of VGLI. You can also, if you're a female, you can usually privatize for about a third the price. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So if you get your VA disability rating, that's great. You're going to get a certain amount from the government to pay you for what they, they, they broke or scratch on you. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you've just put a whole bunch of information in your medical record and you've given all these other private insurance companies reasons why not to insure you. Uh -huh. So yeah. apply first, then go do your VA disability uh, rating. That's the financial savvy play there. And then when you get to transition time, you get your DD-214 in hand. I would like to see someone uh, within the first six months start examining their TSP. Am I going to roll this right over into uh, an IRA? Or if you know that you're going to go from active duty to some other government agency with three letters um, and they participate in TSP, you're going to roll that in, right into uh, TSP there in your next government job. So those are the two big things I, I would say for guys transitioning. And then after that, you know, uh, I'm expecting along the way that people have already done, you know, emergency savings. Um, it, with their new job, if it's in the private sector, that they've supplemented uh, on top of their benefits. Because a big thing in, in active duty is 100% paycheck protection. Well, the American employer, not so much. Usually the standard is 60%. So just, any, just about any uh, civilian job you get, you're taking a step back in uh, some of your benefits. So I don't want anyone to take steps back financially. So that is, a, that is something that uh, guys need to pay attention to is what's called disability insurance. So that's uh, another thing for their, their next job. Um, obviously, you need to protect your, your, your families. Uh, we talked about life insurance already, um, retirement savings. And then you need to be participating in the short-term, mid-term uh, investments because you want, you want your wealth to grow. You don't just want your money to sit simply in savings. Uh, because it's getting beat by inflation every year. Right. Yeah. So those are the basics. And obviously, uh, the, the best way to do it is to have a conversation with ideally a financial planner. Um, and they take the time to go through your individual situation for your household. Or if it's more important to you, talk about your 
ideally small business. Gotcha. That's cool. What would you say like, so for the, if anyone's listening to this or watching the show, who's like, well, I'm not getting out for a super long time, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, or I've got X amount of years left. Like I'm, mm-hmm. that's way too far in the future for me. What would you suggest they do now? Like if they are contributing to their TSP, like any tips or pointers you might give them it, right yeah. now and, and to help them. So when that day comes, maybe they retire or maybe mm-hmm. they get out after the next contract ends or whatever, but what would you say like for right now they could do? Yeah. So within their own TSP, uh, you know, I would elect the Roth option all day, every day. Uh, that's so know. that's the first thing. Um, the default is they put you in the G fund, which is fantastic as far as safety, but it's traditionally the lowest performing of the four funds. So I would at least diversify 75% of that outside of the G fund into the other funds. Um, and again, this is a general answer. Um, most people their income and their families have grown, their net worth has grown. They probably haven't done anything outside of SDLI as far as life insurance. They should get that covered. And like you said, I've been in a while, still not getting out for a, a, a good amount of time. Well, if you're participating, you know, 5% uh, at least going to your uh, employer-sponsored retirement account in the military, that's, that's TSP, um, you, you've got 5% going towards a mortgage and you're building up wealth in real estate, uh, you know, your arena. Yeah. Um, at that point, the other 5 to 10% should either be shoring up your emergency fund and arguably if you're active duty, you don't need three to six months. You really only need three months because you've got that government paycheck coming in regardless. Right, right. <laughs> so I would make the argument that active duty needs three months of uh, emergency funds uh, of, of three months of living expenses to fill that up. Um, but once you fill that bucket up, you don't need to keep contributing 5% of your income to that. That can be shored up to uh, ideally five to now, if you have a fully funded emergency fund, 10% going to investments. And that's the that's the fun space of the finance right. world. Now, yeah. there's no tax benefits to investments, but you know, a little market and there is market risk, but there's... A, typically a lot of market growth and it beats, um, it beats a lot of, uh, different savings vehicles. So it's worth it. You can absolutely take a loss, but the American, American economy is very, very strong. Um, and, and even the world economy do, does, does quite well. So you can, uh, participate in some international markets as well. But, um, there's a slide that we have that really just drove it home for me being a long-term diversified investor based on the American economy. So far, if you just did no strategy and you just went with the typical S&P 500 and you were you invested in that index for one year, any year, uh, you had a 73% chance of making a return on your money. That's Speak, pretty high. Yeah, it speaks very well to the American economy. A lot better economy. than your odds in Vegas, right? Yeah, for sure. And then the other two stats were if you were a five-year investor, uh, you had an 87% chance of making a return on your invest- investment. And then finally, uh, the last one is if you were an investor just going with the S&P 500, that index, uh, for a span of 15 years, thus far, we'll see what 2020 has for us. <laughs> right. It's 100% for investors to have a chance of making a return. So, you know, that's what really drives it home. Are you a long-term diversified investor? Then you're doing the right thing. And, uh, you know, 15 years, um, 
yes, it's long term, but for a lot of guys, that's not waiting to age 59 and a half. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> and 15 years can go by pretty fast. I mean, yeah. Right. And, and if, that's if you're 18 or 20 years old and you just got in the military, like 15 years seems like an eon, but. Um, in reality, 15 years can snap by pretty quick. A amen. And, and that's why you can't have all your money just in retirement accounts, because what if real life happens and you got to dip into funds, but it's all tied up into a retirement account. You got to wait to age 59 and a half. And then you're going to get slapped with taxable income and a 10% penalty from the IRS. If you pull out before then, I mean, it's just heavy. Not, yeah, it's just not that cost effective. Right. <laughs> yeah. That emergency fund is, is good advice. And I think like this whole pandemic that we're in has really brought that to light for people. I mean, bingo, maybe not so much military, you know, cause they have the guaranteed paycheck all the time, even though they might be working at home right now, but, um, for everyone else in the private sector, you know, not every sector has been impacted negatively, but a lot have. Mm. And I think it's really brought home the fact that, you know, I think America as a society has gotten very comfortable with spend, 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 credit card debt, credit card debt, and very, very lackadaisical with the savings side of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think now more than any time, I think people are finally like kind of waking up to the fact that like, okay, yeah, that emergency fund isn't just something you think you're going to one day, someday do when you have extra money. Yeah. It's now one of those things that needs to become a priority. Um, yes. Because you might've made it through this one. Okay. Or barely got through borrowing money from family and friends or whatever happened, but who knows when the next similar scenario pops its head up again. And are you going to be ready for it? Yeah. Uh, I couldn't say it better myself. Now that actually kind of jogs my memory of what I wanted to ask you. Uh, we were talking about, Hey, right now it's the seller's market in the housing market. And those families that do have a fully shored up emergency fund, they seem to be the ones that are getting through the application process and closing on houses that they want to buy. Yeah. Yeah. No, you... and, and the people that it wasn't a priority for, they don't have it and they're just not going to be looked at is, is my understanding. Basically. Yeah. I mean, we've, the real estate market today um, is on fire by the way. I mean, it's just really, really on fire. Um, and that's a lot of that is sparked because interest rates are so low. So yeah. now there's so many more people interested in getting into the market or able to qualify to be in the market or qualify for a little more home than maybe they were able to a year ago. And, um, and I have several people I talked to, you know, a year, year and a half ago that were like, gosh, at that payment rate and everything, I'm just not getting what I want. Now, fast forward to today, rates are down significantly. They're like, okay, now I can finally get into something that makes sense for me, right? Mm -hmm. My family. Um, but the market is so hot right now that you're seeing people um, make offers that are almost kind of ri ridiculous in some sense. You know, homes are getting multiple offers. I don't mean like two or three. I talked to an agent the other day, there was 55 offers on a house. Um, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> so that's a lot of competition, right? And and your point of, you know, having that emergency fund saved up is super critical. I mean, for the VA loan, you don't necessarily need it to get approved for the loan, mm -hmm. but it's that next step, right? Which is yeah. getting the house, getting yeah. your offer accepted. I mean, you can be approved with a VA loan zero down to some big astronomical number, but you know, if you need closing costs paid for by the seller, or you don't have any cash to help make the transaction work, you're probably not the one winning that yeah. that whole competition bid system that's going on out there yeah. and um so yeah having having some money in the bank i mean that's what we're advising everybody now i mean if you're serious and want to buy a house you're going to need to have you know some money because you're going up against people that do 
Yeah. And, you know, with that phrase, it makes me think of this timing of the rich get richer and the, the poor get poorer. And, you know, some people might see it as, oh, that's great for rich people. If you don't think you're one of those rich people, start surrounding yourself th- with people that either are or, or know how to be more effective with their, their money so that you can be in that position when another opportunity like this comes about. Yeah, no, you're totally right. There's that old saying, it's like, show me you're the five closest friends of yours and I'll, it'll tell you who you are kind of, yeah, I may have butchered that a little bit, but you know what I'm getting at, right? Yeah. It's like, same thing, right? And I've, I've talked to so many people and you can read so many cool books of like very successful people and one of the major changes they made in their life was who they surrounded themselves around. Yeah, and the version I heard of that one was, who are your five closest friends? The average of their yearly income, that's what you make. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's spot on, right? <laughs> it's spot on. So, so yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing the market is, is really, really competitive right now. Um, and um, I mean, the VA loan is still such an amazing tool for people um, who've earned the right to it. Yep. Um, but the days of, hey, seller, pay for my closing costs are not as viable today mm. as they might have been just earlier in the year. You know, February, that was totally a normal thing. And today, just because there's not a lot of inventory out there, then the sellers have more, more leverage. Yeah. And one of the things that I always talk to guys about, definitely on the personal finance side, is arguably real estate's the number one way to, to accumulate wealth. Um, I, I guess what I wanted to uh, go from there is what have you seen besides it being more of a seller's market now with some of the laws and regulations with COVID that have gone in, there's some States that are basically telling owners, Hey, you, you can't collect rent from these guys if they can't pay rent is, are we affected out here in California like that? Or, or what's your, your experience been with uh, the, the, the COVID market, I guess? Yeah, there, there's, been, there's been some of that stuff. A lot of the people I talk to that have rental properties have been pretty blessed. I mm. mean, most of them are getting tenants that are still paying the rent. Yeah. And I think, um, of course, there's always people that need that help because of what COVID's done for work and stuff. And there's always that sect that's just trying to take advantage of any little handout they can get. Right. Mm-hmm. So you always kind of have those two factors, but I think by and large, I, I think, and I believe that most people are, are good and are trying to do right. Yeah. And so, um, I haven't experienced a lot of clients that have that issue with people not paying the rent and are, you know, protected from mm-hmm. it, you know? Um, but it's, it's, it definitely exists. And, um, and that can, that can definitely be a decision-making uh, factor if you're looking to buy an investment property, right. Is, mm. is that yeah. component. Um, and COVID's had some, some impacts in some other parts of the industry appraisals being one of them, you know, with, um, appraisers aren't going inside homes right now, you know, for fear of maybe bringing it into the home oh. or getting it from the homeowner. Um, so a lot of that's been exterior stuff and, and it has, it has caused a little ripple effect in qualifying requirements. So, um, because we don't know if the government's going to shut down ABC business, um, at any given point in time that now we're doing an, an additional round of employment verifications and stuff right mm. before we close just to make sure. Cause you never know. I mean, this whole time you might've been fine and tomorrow the government does or says something <laughs> yeah. and, and that industry's locked out for 60 days and you don't have an income for a couple months. You know what I mean? We don't know. So, 
Um, they've been a little extra cautious for that, for sure. Yeah. I'm sure gym owners are, are getting frustrated with this whole situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gym owners, for sure. And a lot of restaurant owners are, you yep. know, even the dining outside, it's tough, a tough adjustment for them. And, you know, they, they got hit pretty hard with all this. Yeah. You, what I have been impressed with this whole time, because uh, I, I get to brief mutual funds left, right, and center all day, every day. Um, a lot of the portfolio managers are doing a very good job of looking for companies that are one positioned for growth and two showing growth in spite of COVID people have the desire to go out there and still make money. And I see it not just on the investment side of the house, but just everyday life. We got barber shops, barbers going out there in the blazing heat working all day just to give people haircuts now. Yep. <laughs> so. yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, there still is that American spirit, right? That Amen. drive. Yeah. Um, so that part's been really invigorating and, and inspiring. Um, well, as we, I, I want to get us kind of wrapped up here, but a question I always like to ask is, um, you know, in, in, in the title of, of the show, you know, armed and ready, what does, what does that mean to you and you know, what you're doing or your kind of your experiences? Yeah. So armed and ready and, and, and talking to active duty and, and veterans in my world, that means you are protecting the family, if you've transitioned out, you're protecting your income, which fuels your financial plan, and you are ready to uh, be strategic with your asset allocations when you when you leave, uh, because you go from four funds in the TSP to basically like 2,500 different options in the private sector. And if you're armed with that good information and you're ready to implement your financial plan, then you're doing everything that you need to do uh, for yourself and for your family and for your household. So that's what I want for people. That's great, man. Well, um, for anybody um, that's watching or listening, Sean, what's the best way they can get in touch with you and, and talk to you about this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can hit me up uh, on my uh, business email. It's Sean, S-E-A-N dot Collicott, C-O-L-L-I-C-O-T-T at nm.com. Or uh, you can go ahead and reach out to me uh, on my office line, uh, 760-795-5243. I'm, I'm working out of home, so it gets forwarded actually to my cell phone. Uh, and that contact number is 812-345-1254. Awesome, man. And um, if anybody didn't catch that or, or see it on the screen, um, you can always go to valoanguy.us and we'll get you connected with Sean. Absolutely. Um, just love having great vets in here, helping the veteran community, man. It was, it was a pleasure talking to you, learning your story and uh, hope to see you back sometime. Hey, thanks. I really appreciate you. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for checking out today's episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. If you have any questions or would like to get in touch with our guest today, please reach out to me at valoanguy.us.